Thank you, Father. We serve an awesome God. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, as, a, as a, someone who would basically identify as, as a charismatic, uh, believing in the gifts of the Spirit and, and the modern-day operation of the power in God and that type of thing, I love the presence and power of God. I mean, I can't tell you what it does for me, uh, you know, to walk up to a total stranger and by the Spirit of God start giving them details about their life and, and watch how God will minister to people in that capacity. And I love to, you know, pray for sick people and see people get healed. But I'm telling you, man, you won't get, you won't get joy out of anything like you will get out of and I'm going to use this term, please forgive me, a simple revelation of salvation. Amen. And again, that's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. They came back. They cast out devils. They were ecstatic about it. They couldn't hardly believe it. And the Lord said, yeah, that's great, but make sure you find your abiding joy in the fact that your name is written in heaven. And thank God there's not demon or deacon big enough to erase it out of there. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to... Um, Go ahead and receive the offering, Brother Orla, if you'll help me, sir. And then we have some envelopes here. And uh, if you need a pen, we have pens. So uh, if, you, if you're giving this morning and want an envelope, uh, Brother Orla here will assist you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for the privilege of, uh, of being able to give into the kingdom of God. It really is a phenomenal thing in, 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 the, in the fact that God has, has given man free will and that man has dominion and authority on the earth, that we actually have the responsibility and the God-given ability to advance the gospel. And it's, um, it's just a phenomenal thing. You know, even in America, you think about, um, you know, how blessed and prosperous the country has been uh, and, and is and so much funding, you know, I believe it's over 90% still of gospel funding throughout the world comes from America. You know, that's a phenomenal thing. You know, I think it, and this could have changed a little bit, uh, but at least not too long ago, I believe it was about one-third of uh, America's uh, uh, foreign aid budget was designated to the nation of Israel alone. So, so all I'm trying to say is we're blessed this country's blessed, and it is. It's a blessing to be able to advance the kingdom of God through giving. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Brother Orla, you go ahead, sir. And if, uh, again, we do have information cards if you're visiting or if, you, if you're with us regularly and you would like for us just to have your information, uh, we're not going to bombard you with a whole bunch of stuff or anything like that, but if you want us to have that, those are available to you. And... All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Throat's a little dry here. Okay. Uh, before we get directly into the teaching uh, this morning, I just wanted to quickly share. I've had multiple, multiple people uh, contact me uh, uh, from, from here in the States and uh, from other countries. i got a pastor friend of mine uh, in Africa messaging me. So a lot of people, I don't think I addressed anything here in the church uh, in one of the regular services. So again, a lot of people have been asking me about my opinion on the Supreme Court ruling 
on uh, gay marriage. Um, I have a video that I'm not going to show. It's just, it's such a hassle um, to, to have to do that because we ha how we have to set everything up here. Um, it's by T.D. Jakes, and it's about four minutes long. And um, if you just go to YouTube, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I think what I'll do is I'll put it on the, our church's Facebook page, which is just Grace Life Kalamazoo. Um, but it's a video by T.D. Jakes, and it's just about four minutes long where he addresses this. And he has some really good insight into it. And I listened to it. I just came across it the other day. And basically, my opinion uh, would resonate with what T.D. Jakes' uh, opinion in that video is. And that's just a couple of things. Uh, I have contended for a long time um, as, as a conservative Bible-believing. I'm not a liberal theologian, I don't think. Um, but as a conservative uh, evangelical, you know, however you want to put it, all right? Um, I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, I believe there's clear precedent, Old and New Testament, for God's intended design on sexuality and that type of thing. Uh, my thing is this, um, and if you'll just bear with me for just a moment, uh, even if homosexual people, think about this with me here, even if homosexual people in America couldn't legally get married, chances are they're still going to remain homosexual, you understand what I'm saying? Married or not, they're still gay. All right? Now, the interesting thing is, um, I do not believe that America is in covenant with God. That's a common statement. America is in covenant with God. Now, don't run out and get mad at me. I'm the one of the most pro-America people you've ever met. And as far as I know, I'm pretty pro-God. <laughs> All right? So bear with me here. Um, I'm well aware that in 1789, uh, George Washington prayed a dedicatory prayer on behalf of America to God, but that in no way, shape, form, or fashion somehow thrusted America into binding legal covenant with God, all right? Now, think about this, um, and yes, I do believe in, in much of, of the Christian inspiration, the God-ordained uh, inspiration. You might want to use, you know, you might use the word providence, uh, in America, all of that, yes, 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 all right? Um, uh, let, me, let me show you a scripture here, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. Hebrews 9, verse 16 says this, For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Pretty clear, right? Not maybe, not it's optional, not in certain no, where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. So when George, God bless President George, when he prayed on behalf of America, I think that was a phenomenal thing, uh, but it didn't somehow thrust this nation into binding covenant with God. All right? America is not a theocracy like a lot of, you know, some of the Islamic states and countries would be. Um, so again, I'm just, you know, like, of necessity, the Scripture says, there has to be a death. So there was no death that put a covenant into effect when George, President Washington prayed on behalf of America. Am I making sense? I know this is a touchy thing, and you guys are really quiet, and like, uh, but, you know, nonetheless. Um, you know, it's really weird to me, because obviously something like that happens, and there becomes lots of um, outspoken stuff, and I'm, I'm for taking a firm stand for Scripture and the truth and clarity of Scripture, 
Um, but it's really weird to me. I don't hear people saying that God judged America when slavery was in effect, when hundreds of thousands of Africans and Irishmen were brought to this country as slaves. Why didn't he judge us then? But now less than 2% of the American population can get married legally, and now God's going to kill us all. I just, you know what I'm saying? That's just my view on it, and I, let me say this, I thoroughly respect other people's view on it. Um, I'm not contentious about it at all. I hope it's not coming across that way, but people keep asking me about it, and so I just thought I would quickly address it. And let me say this, you can't just make a covenant with God just because you want to. Even if George Washington on April the 30th, 1789, when he prayed that consecrated, dedicatory prayer, even if he would have wanted to, you can't. You don't go to God to make a covenant. When God makes a covenant, He comes and does it. And there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. And really this verse, of course, is talking about the only real, true, actual blood-binding covenant in effect, and that's the new covenant, which is between God the Father and God the Son, that anyone who wants to can join in on and enjoy the benefits and blessings thereof. Okay? Um, so again, you know, my thing is this. Uh, Jordan... Do you think the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin? Yes, I do. Uh, Jordan, doesn't Leviticus uh, 19 say that uh, a man lays with a man, it's an abomination? It does. And the book of Proverbs, chapter 6 or 7, also says that a proud look against someone's an abomination. Jordan, doesn't Revelation say that uh, sorcerers, whoremongers, uh, all these things will be in the lake of fire? Yeah, and before that, it also says the fearful and unbelieving will also be in the lake of fire. All right? So I think we, if we can get a better overall script, scriptural grasp on some of these things, it'll do us a lot of good. All right? So no, we're not in American covenant with God. We're in Jesus' covenant with God. All right? And so that should do you a lot. Of, that, should, that should encourage you because now... If Chris runs out and does something terrible, God's not going to have to kill me because of what she did. Because my covenant is based upon Jesus and his, obe his obedience to God. Does that make sense at all? All right. I know that's touchy, and boy, you guys are all ears. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. I understand that, that my view is different from a lot of the other views. I'm fine with that. Once again, I, I really hope that didn't come across as contentious at all. People keep asking me about it. I thought, well, I'll just quickly address it. And that's that. I think we should... I think we should love homosexual people and minister acceptance and salvation and the truth of the gospel to homosexual, uh, homosexual people just like we should to atheists, just like we should to self-righteous churchgoers, just like we should to anyone else. Amen? The Scripture says in the book of Romans that God gave the law for the purpose so that He could declare all guilty so that He could have mercy upon all. All right, so that's, that's just how I look at it. Um, book of Revelation, chapters 20, 21, uh, you have uh, uh, a few accounts of people standing before the throne of God and uh, judgment seat of God, judgment seat of Christ, and there's only two categories. Names, your name is in the book, your name's not in the book. All right, and so, again, uh, there's one way to heaven and one way to hell. Accept Jesus or reject Jesus. All right, so anyways, I could elaborate on that more, and we could spend some time on it. I just not what I'm planning on doing today. Okay, praise God. Moving on, we'll get started here. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. All right. 
Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to be uh, teaching, uh, we finally wrapped up teaching on worship last week, and today I'm going to be teaching, uh, and hopefully for a few weeks at least, um, what I'm calling Galatians, putting the amazing back into grace. Putting the amazing back into grace. Hallelujah. You know, I was uh, born again November the 11th, 2004, drug addict, convicted drug dealer, in rehab for the third time, met Jesus, and started following him the best that I knew how to, um, as sincerely and uh, mostly as devout, you know, as I could muster up and all that type of thing uh, for a few years there. And... You know, the scripture, like in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus exhorts one of the churches to return to your first love. We know that verse, return to your first love. And so that's often presented to us as our love for God. And so the amazing thing, though, is the same guy who wrote the book of Revelation is the same person who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles. Now, John tells us in 1st John chapter 4, he says, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He first loved us. So there's that first love. Our first love is God's love for us. I didn't get saved because I loved God. I got saved because God so loved the world, He sent His Son to save whoever would believe in Him and accept Him. Amen? And so the first love is God's love for us and You know, again, it took me just a few years to absolutely wear myself out and just about kill myself, uh, if you will, in my attempts to serve God, all right? And so, let me say it this way, and we'll look at this as we get reading here, that, and I may repeat this a few times, it's the easiest thing in the world to backslide into legalism. All right? It is, it is, man, it's, that's why the author of Hebrews chapter 4 said, labor to rest. It's, it's like we're so works-oriented in relating to God, trying to earn God's blessings and presence in our life and earn answered prayers and all this type of stuff that it's just, it's, just, it's like you don't even have to think about it. Before you know it, man, you are down legalism lane. You know, you're halfway down there, and it's like you are turning and burning and getting nowhere fast. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, it's good to serve God. Don't misunderstand me. But it's a whole lot better to serve God when you do it because He loves you and to not try to gain His love. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Thank God for that. Now, the book of Galatians, let me just say this, is, of, is absolutely of, of utmost importance, and I would say it's just... The, the, the theme and the point of the book of Galatians is absolutely just as pertinent and applicable to the modern-day church in America and anywhere else in the world than it was back here when Paul wrote this letter, all right? And so uh, we're going to start here in chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, several things here. Again, teaching on Galatians, putting the amazing back into grace. Hallelujah. All right. Now, Paul is dealing with this here. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 1. I am going to start in the King James. I'm usually in the King James. I'm not always. We may get to some other translations and some other stuff today, but I'll mostly be in the King James here. Um, Well, let me just throw this out to you before we start reading. Basically, what's at the heart of the book of Galatians 
is Paul is coming in and correcting the error that some of the Jewish believers were coming in, and uh, some, some of them were believers, some were not. It would, it would seem according to the book. But basically, you've got these Christians over here. They got their Jesus thing going on. But bless God, we need to get over there and make sure they start trying to keep the law, keep Moses' law. And so what was happening was the Galatians were being taught, like 99% of most churches in the world today, that you get initially born again by grace through faith, but that in order to grow, in order to mature, in order to gain God's blessings, in order to become sanctified, you earn these things through your own works and personal effort. And Paul comes in and just upends and uproots that entire false way of thinking. He brings a beautiful paradigm shift to these people. And it's really, it's really interesting. You know, the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, and the book of Galatians all have very strong uh, consistencies and parallels and things that are very similar. The book of Romans uh, is like Paul's masterpiece. It's like a beautiful legal document that just line upon line, precept upon precept, and he just goes through all, just everything. He covers the law, the reason for the law, uh, the time before the law, the covenant out from under the law. He goes through all these things. And then, and the, the Roman church, they had uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers in them. And then you get to the book of Galatians, and it's basically the same thing at heart, trying to show the church that they're not under the Mosaic law, but under the new covenant of grace. And, but in Galatians, though, it's like gloves off. You know, I was, chain, I was watching TV last night, and uh, I guess it was UFC. You know, these people were fighting on there. And I was thinking about it. My mom, my mom passed away, but my mom, she liked boxing. And I don't know what the gloves are. What's the, the, the air pressure and the weight? I don't know, six or eight ounces, maybe more. I don't know if anybody knows. But they're like in the UFC, man, they got those little thin things on there. It's just, I think it's probably much more closer to like bare knuckle. You know what? Am I making sense? Well, in Galatians... Like Paul is gloves off. It's kind of like Jesus in the temple, man, when he throws the money changers out. This is Paul's money changer throw out. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of the same thing here. All right? So let's check this out here. Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 4. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil, King James says world, that's actually the Greek word for age. It's not the Greek word cosmos, like the physical universe, it's age. That he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Verse 6, now check this out. He, he really starts getting into uh, the meat of this thing Right off the bat here, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I marvel, I'm amazed that you are so soon removed from him that called you, now check this out, this is important, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now think about that. Paul said, I am baffled and amazed, I can't hardly believe it, that you have so quickly moved from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So Paul uses the word grace and the word gospel uh, interchangeably here. All right? He uses them. It's the same synonymous. He uses them. They're completely interchangeable. You go from, gospel, from grace 
to another gospel. All right? Now look at verse 7. Which is really not another. He said it's another gospel, but it's not really the gospel at all. It's just a perversion. All right? He said, but there be some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So they were perverts. They were gospel perverts. They were doctrinal perverts. They were twisting and distorting the truth in the intended way. All right? Now check this out. This is, this is just baffling. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let that person be accursed. Verse 9, as we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Now look at verse 10. This is phenomenal. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. So it's really interesting to me. Paul comes in and he says, I, I, am, I can't hardly believe that you guys have so quickly been removed off of the foundation. All right? Now that word in verse 6 that we read where he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed, the Greek word there, that just means to transpose or to exchange one thing for another. And that's, what, that's all it means is you've, you've exchanged the true gospel of God's grace for a, a different gospel that's based on the works of man. All right? So he says, I marvel that you have so soon removed. And see, that's what happens. Like I mentioned in, in, in Revelation 1, Jesus exhorts the church, return to your first love. And that's almost without exception, always preached at you, like you need to get on fire, you need to get it together, you need to, da, 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 goes down the line. But John clearly said in 1 John 4, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Amen. That he first loved us. There is abiding life and tangible strength in the reality of God's unwavering love for people. All right? Now, when you start teaching on God's grace, there, there's always fears and concerns and accusations that you're going to promote sin and all this type of stuff. So you don't, you know, it's like, I, I don't know what you would, in, let me say it this way. You can write this down. I'm not going to turn there. In Romans chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said concerning the Jewish believers at Rome, he said, they are slanderously reporting against me, Paul said, that I'm encouraging sin because I teach grace. And Paul said, whoever says that is worthy of damnation. That's what he actually said. Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Paul said, it's slanderously reported about me that I'm encouraging sinfulness and licentiousness. Whoever says that is worthy of damnation. It's kind of the same thing in Galatians 1 here. Whoever, whoever removes the grace of God for a man's works, works righteousness-oriented gospel, let them be accursed. I mean, those are strong words. You know what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't a feel-good letter. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Now, it, it's almost inevitable um, that these questions arise and these concerns arise when we start teaching on God's grace. Um... And, and there's a lot of reasons. Um, there's so much to cover. I'm trying to not go too fast here. Um, I'll tell you what. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, and we'll delve into this a little more. I want you to see this. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now that in order to um, 
get solidified in, in God's grace, in a pure grace-based new covenant, it takes the Word of God. Now, you might say, well, duh. But the problem is, I don't know about everyone on the planet, but I know charismatics because I've always been from a spirit-filled charismatic church. And spirit-filled charismatics will believe a vision from well-known preacher so-and-so before they'll believe the Bible. Well, I, I might believe that grace stuff if so-and-so was preaching it. Why don't you believe it because it's in the Word of God? Why does so-and-so have to have a vision to validate a doctrine for you? Why don't you believe the Word of God? Do you not think the Holy Ghost in you is big enough to... You understand what I'm saying? And so there's fears. There's reservations because the church is scared to death somebody's going to sin. They're sinning anyways. If all the hellfire legalistic pulpit slapping around was going to work, it would have worked by now. I think. Maybe we should try a different approach. I don't know. The biblical one. There's a thought. (laughs) Okay. Now... Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is just phenomenal to me, and it reiterates what we just looked at here. Paul says this. Now, this is Paul talking to the elders, to the ministers, to the pastors, the leaders here, and this is the last time he's going to see them. This is really cool. Paul said this. None of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Paul, what is your ministry that you receive from the Lord Jesus? Next part of the verse. To testify the gospel of the grace of God. So that's the same thing as Galatians 1.6. Paul says the gospel is the message of God's grace. It's synonymous. It's interchangeable. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the word grace, just uh, while I'm thinking about it here, the word grace... Uh, in the Greek is the word charis, or you might just say it charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's where we get the word charisma or uh, charismatic, something like that from. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot. There's a little bit of, some people try to, um, I've had people try to debate me and argue, me, argue with me about it. It is uh, perfectly acceptable in the Greek to say that grace can be defined as the unmerited favor of God. And there, there are people who say, well, there's more to that. It empowers you. And I would agree with that. I would, you could say it's the unmerited, empowering, favor and blessing of God. But I've had people say, no, unmerited favor is totally wrong. No, it's not. That, that is just not true. We are not, and I'm not being contentious. I believe God's grace enables us. It empowers us. It blesses us. It lifts us up. I completely agree with that. But to say unmerited favor is not a, a good enough definition, I, I would disagree with that. That is thoroughly consistent with the Greek. You go through the New Testament where the word charis is used and then all the different variations of charizomai, all these different type of things. Uh, to say unmerited favor is perfectly consistent, all right, and in accordance with the Greek. Nonetheless, check this out. Paul says this, verse 25. He says, and now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, you're going to see my face no more. He said, wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I, check this out, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Verse 29. 
For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. A few more verses. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. Now notice that. That's what Paul said in Galatians 1. He said there are those who trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ and try to distort it and twist it into another gospel, which isn't a gospel at all. So they're gospel perverts. They're twisting the purity of God's grace and exchanging it for an entirely different system. All right? He says this, verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years uh, I cease not to, to warn every one of you day and night with tears. Now look at verse 32. Paul says this. He says, and now, brothers, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are separated unto God, or King James, sanctified. I'm thinking like, man, I will take some of that. So the grace of God, the grace of God is able to give me an inheritance. It's able to build me up. Now this is phenomenal. I want you to think. We're not going to finish the chapter out, but this is Paul's last meeting with these, these guys. And it says when he finishes, basically they all started hugging him and kissing him and they were crying. And it says they were weeping mostly because he's, he told them it was the last time he was ever going to see them. Now, so here's Paul in his last message to all of his leaders and elders and all these people that have been under his ministry and brought up through his ministry and under his influence and carrying his message on. And Paul, this is his last moment. He could have said anything. But the last thing he says to them is, guys, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just about at the end here. I, my life doesn't mean anything to me, in a sense. You know, he said that in Philippians 2. He said, look, if I stay here, it's good for you, but I'd much rather go and be with him. <laughs> you know, to depart is far better. You know, to live as Christ, to die is gain. He says, but I know it's coming to an end here. And so he, he has this last opportunity to give them. You know, you might say it's his dying words to them because it's the last time he's going to see them. And so, Paul could have said anything. He could have left them any instruction, any emphasis. He could have focused on any single thing. But he tells them, guys, my life doesn't really mean anything at all to me. The only thing I'm consumed and concerned with is to get God's grace out there to people. And then he says, I commend all of you. I turn all of you over and instruct you to go do the same thing. Go take God's grace to, to humanity. He said, the grace of God is able to give an inheritance and to build people up in the kingdom and into the things of God. So it's clearly of utmost importance that we focus on um, God's grace and that we be established in the truth of God's grace. All right? Now, turn with me. Uh, we we'll, we'll, might get back to Galatians here shortly. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. Very common scriptures here. Now, as I was mentioning to you earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> loved Jesus as much as I knew how to after I got saved, served him with all my might as much as I knew how to. You know what I'm saying? We do our best. And within just a few years, you know, the way I put it, and as you understand the phrase, is, you know, I about, I served Jesus so hard I almost killed myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, you just, you, you, you serve, you serve in God and we get trapped into doing all this stuff that God's not even asking us to do. Now, I'm not talking about serving and stuff has to get done. I understand that. But you guys know what I'm saying, right? And so, for me, a revelation of God's grace is what came in 
and saved me from the religion that I was captive to. Now, I was already born again, and when God's grace came to me quite literally as an answer to prayer, it was very much so like I was born again again. You can't be born again again, but it, was, it felt like it. It was so impacting and so powerful on me. It, it was like being born again again, you know? And so for me, I'll tell you what opened it up for me. It was 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's Paul, and he's being buffeted by a demon spirit. And, and Paul said, because of the abundance of revelation that was given unto me, there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then Paul says, because of this thing, I cried out to the Lord three times. And then he said, finally, man, the Lord was able to get through to me. And what did Jesus speak to Paul? He could have said anything, man. And, I, and that, to me, that stumped me like crazy, and it used to bother me. And that's what got me on a grace journey of seeking out what's the big deal about God's grace. Because I'm like most of you. I heard the same thing you heard about grace. Oh, hallelujah, we're saved by grace. And that's all you ever heard about it. Didn't mean anything. Because in my camp, you're saved by grace, but you stay saved by works, which is heresy. Terrible to put that on people. All right? Have you heard those sermons too? Yeah. No, no, no bueno, right? <laughs> no, no good. And so Jesus, here he is. He could, he could tell Paul, Paul, you know, I'm a good charismatic. Jesus should have gave him a good charismatic answer. Paul, you need to fast for three days. Paul, you need to pull down a stronghold over that city. Paul, you need to rebuke. Paul, you need to bind. Paul, you need to call the prayer chain. Paul, you need to call the intercessors. Paul, you need to sow a seed that's big enough to blah, blah, blah. Paul, you need to do something. Paul, you need to speak the word. He didn't say any of that. <laughs> I'm trying. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Whew. What do you do with that? Well, we're saved by grace. doesn't mean anything. We just flippantly say it. But according to Jesus, in the midst of one of Paul's recorded most intense battles, I mean, it brought Paul to his knees. He said, because of this attack, thrice, King James, or three times, I sought the Lord, asking for an answer, help. And here comes Jesus, my grace is enough for you. And then Paul comes right after that, flips our wig again, and says, most gladly, therefore, because his grace is sufficient for me, most gladly, therefore, will I rather rejoice in my weaknesses. Why, Paul? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak in self, I become dependent upon him. And his strength is perfected in my weakness. Woo! Mm. Starting to, I'm... I'm about to have to do a Pentecostal dance or a Jericho march or something here. I'm preaching me happy. And that verse just opened up the floodgates to me, man, because, you know, you got to be strong. You got to da da da. You got to da da da. But Paul says, no, I don't need to be strong. When I'm weak, then I have strength. Because when I'm weak in self, I'm dependent on his strength within me. Now, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I don't even have to try to muster up strength anymore. I can tap into his reservoir of strength. And his strength's a lot stronger and a lot longer lasting uh, than mine is. Hallelujah. You've probably figured that out by now in your own experience. Amen? And so those verses and that account is what really sent me on a journey uh, of seeking out what the big deal you know, was concerning God's grace. And, you know, for me, 
there wasn't, I didn't have a church that I was going to that emphasized God's grace. I didn't have 12 people around me ha- having a vision to confirm it. I had the Word of God. And, I, and then I, and I came across Joseph Prince, and that was a great blessing to me. But as far as I knew, it was me and this one guy in Singapore that believed this stuff and his church. And that was it. Amen? You've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Me and these people halfway across the planet believed that God really is this good. A little side journey here. People want to criticize Joseph Prince all the time. You know that for about the last 14 years, people get born again in his church every single Sunday. So, you know, when you get those results, you can criticize him too. Hallelujah. All right? Now, but again, you know, and so for me, I had to decide, what am I going to do? Because what I've, what I've been to, because here's what happens. I go to church, or I'm at home, or I'm whatever. I experience God's presence. I experience the gifts of the Spirit. I experience His anointing. I experience His power. And half the time, I'm miserable. You can't live on spiritual high to spiritual high. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be that legitimate relationship between you and God. And as, and as long as you think there's something about you that is so disgusting and, and bigger than Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf, that what Jesus did started it, but you have to finish it, you could say it that way, as long as you believe that, it's just going to be impossible to find that abiding peace and joy that is available for every person that will just receive it. It cannot be found in a system of works-based righteousness. It's not available there. Don't waste your time looking for it. You won't find it. You've probably figured that out by now. You know, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said that you believers, he said, when people come to you, when the world's falling apart, and somebody comes to you and says, it's going to hell around you, not, not cussing, it's, it's just going to hell all around you, and why do you have that joy? Peter said, have enough wisdom to give them a good answer. Most of us don't have that problem because when the world's falling apart around us, we're falling right down with it without any sense of abiding joy. So we don't have to worry about what Peter said to do there, typically, because we don't have that type of joy. Why don't we have that type of joy, typically? Because we've, 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 I'm, tr- I'm trying not to, please forgive me, uh, I'm being a little, I'm trying to be a little humorous with it there, but we've believed the message of the perverts. Galatians 1, they've perverted the gospel. The perversion of the truth, all right? And so, again, for me, here comes this revelation of God's... Now, think about this. Every single one of us have probably heard, it depends on your background, um, but that God's love is unconditional, that it's a perfect love and that it's impartial. It's for whosoever will, right? Fair enough way to say it. And so, the problem is, we typically think that God feels about us the way that our emotions currently feel in the moment. You ever woke up first thing in the morning and felt condemned? You hadn't even had time to go out and mess up yet. (laughs) You know, you just opened your eyes and already you feel condemned about something. You don't even know what it is. It's ridiculous, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. And so it does take faith. It takes mountain-moving, devil-stomping faith to believe the truth about God's grace and the gift of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Layman's definition, simple and accurate, right standing with God. 
in the Greek, in the New Testament, it literally means to be in a condition that is acceptable to God or to be as you ought to be. Woo! Man. So for me, after I got saved, loving God the best I knew how to, wore myself out with that stuff, I finally, thank God, find out a few years down the road that I was what I ought to be. The whole time. Christian, Christianity should not be this constant self-improvement system. This message that you're not good enough, but if you try harder, if you pray more, if you come here more often, if you just da-da-da, and it depends what group you're in on all the stuff you have to do to finally get God to accept you, you old sorry thing, you know? You know, I heard Brother Hagin say one time, Brother Hagin said, the faith movement missed it because we went around telling people, you just need more faith. He said, we should have been telling them, you've got enough faith. Why? Because the Scripture tells us we've been given His measure of faith. It's the same thing in righteousness. Now, it's, it's baffling to me, those of you with any type of a, much of a spirit-filled and faith, word of faith background, we, 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 we walk by faith, not by sight. Bless God. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? We, we can quote it to you blindfolded. You know what I'm saying. I mean, we know it. Bless God. So, you know, symptoms come against me. I don't care. Not moved by what I see. Not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. I believe the Word of God. Poverty comes against me. I'm not what my circumstance is saying. I'm not what my bank account says. I'm not what the economy says. I'm not moved by what I blah, blah, blah. I'm moved by the Word of God. Which is true, by the way. I'd recommend that. But when it comes to righteousness, right? Standing with God. We think, for some reason, at that point, we leave the realm of faith that I am who the Word of God says I am, and we exchange it for a new system that says I'm as righteous as my last action, basically. I'm only as right with God as I feel. Now, thank God uh, that we're not right with God just when we feel like we're right with God. Thank God God loves you even when you don't feel like He loves you. And so it is a terrible system to believe that I'm only as righteous as I feel or that I'm only as accepted and righteous before God as my last action. That is a terrible, terrible, terrible way to live. You know? Now, it, it depends on your background. Again, um, I don't know if anybody in here is Baptist or has a Baptist background. Most Baptists have a much better grasp on this than we spirit-filled folk do. They understand that not by works, lest any man should boast. We charismatics, we think you're always one unconfessed sin away from hell. Which again, is a terrible, terrible, terrible way to live. Surely Jesus' blood provided a salvation that's bigger than whether I remember to beg for forgiveness every night. Amen. Are you out there? Alright, Ephesians 2, and we're getting ready to wind it down here. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start in the King James Paul says this, this is, one of the most not, this is one of the most disbelieved scriptures in all the Bible. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now think about that, not of works, lest any man should boast. The way I envision that is when... When I die and I stand before God, I don't know that it really happens this way, but just for the sake of making a point, if, if some angel or Peter or God or somebody standing there at the gate and they say, why should I let you in? Now, this verse says, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I have to start pointing to, well, I was a good person, 
I wasn't perfect, but I was better than Orla. Hallelujah. I, yeah. <laughs> I went to church most of the time. I even gave in the offerings and supported missionaries. Hallelujah. If I have to start boasting on those things, I would do a, a little self-inspection and make sure that I'm really born again. Because I have absolutely no boast in heaven except Jesus. And he's the only reason anyone will be there. Amen? He's qualified us all, all who will receive it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Thank God for that. So, let me read this to you here. I think I have this in the Amplified. Yes, check this out. Same verses, but in the Amplified translation. It says, For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving. Whew! But it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. And then verse 10, we'll just finish it out here. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. Now in the Greek, that word workmanship is the word poema. It's poem with an A at the end of it. We're God's poem. We're God's work of art. We're God's masterpiece, all right? Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works. Now, see, that's, that's the correct understanding. I'm saved apart from my works. But if I'm staying in that reality of God's love for me, there will be an outflow of good works. Amen. What makes it a good work? Because I'm not doing it to get God's acceptance. It's flowing out of me because I know I'm accepted already. One of the fundamental doctrines in Hebrews 6 is repentance from dead works. That, what is a dead work? It's a work that you try to do to get right with God. When there is no work that can be done to get right with God. Other than what Jesus did. All right? Uh, which he predestined, planned beforehand for us. Uh, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. And I may stop right there, and we'll close out here. Um, but again, we're going to be delving into the book of Galatians more here. And, I, and again, I, I say this from time to time. I challenge you guys, and because um, I know it's hard. I understand how difficult it is. You start learning things from the Word of God about... about now, think about this. Every, every person in here and every person who claims to be a born-again Christian in all of Kalamazoo County... When I read Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Everybody would say a big hearty amen. We accept it when we say it in religious lingo, in Christianese. Where we don't accept it is in real life application. Grace is, is usually rejected in real life application. So if I'm saved by grace, through faith, not of works, it is the gift of God... 
What does that mean? That means in real life, I got saved by grace through faith in Jesus. My works did not save me. Therefore, my works cannot keep me saved. That's good news. Now, if one side of that coin is true, the other side has to be true. If my good works cannot save me, my bad works cannot unsave me. Now, see, there's where we start saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, because we don't believe Ephesians 2.8. Baptists do. Anybody in here Baptist background? No, me neither. Well, where's the Baptist at? Oh, one kind of. Okay. Baptist, maybe not all groups, but a lot of Baptists, man, they believe. I have an uncle of mine is a pastor, a Baptist pastor in Indianapolis. And, man, you could, the devil could walk right into his room in person, and he wouldn't talk him out of his salvation. All, all we charismatics have to do is see a bad word written on a stall in a public restroom, and we feel condemned for two weeks. You know what I'm saying? We didn't even, charismatics, we drive down the road and see a, a, an inappropriate billboard, and we're begging God to forgive us for a month. It's goofy. You know what I'm saying? So again, we're going to be delving more and more into this, and I really hope that these teachings are as impactful to you as they are to me. And let me just say, you don't have to be afraid of God's grace. You don't have to have that reservation that somehow, if I really delve into this grace stuff, that I will somehow let my guard down, and I might start slipping and living in sin, and my fervor might go out. I have found in my own experience in relating to God, in my own Uh, experience as a Bible college teacher and a a church staff member at two churches prior to here, and just in in any spectrum, people I've helped disciple and minister, I have never seen grace make a person lazy in their relationship with God. I've never seen grace make a person start thinking, oh, sin's no big deal. Now, I've seen legalism promote that, because in legalism, what will happen is you know, maybe there's some particular thing that you, you've struggled with over the years and you're trying to get free from it and you're doing better, but you're not quite where you want to be with it yet. In legalism, Kara one time, Kara had a, a new smartphone, been a few years ago. It was, you know, you, when you get your new phone, you're like, you don't want a piece of dust on it, man. You want it spotless and perfect, no scratches, nothing. But we were visiting my dad's and she dropped it. And then when she dropped it, she said something to the effect of, well, I don't have to worry about it now. It's already messed up. And that's what, that's what legalism does. Legalism says, well, you've already messed it. You, you've thought about it too much. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go all the way through with it. God's already rejected me. I'm already out of fellowship. He's already turned against me. I'll just go wholeheartedly tonight, and I'll ask him to forgive me Saturday night. Whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. I've already did a little bit. I might as well. Maybe you should, like me, you know, I used to be a drug addict, an alcoholic. I've, I've, been, I've not had anything since I got saved well, at all, nothing. But, you know, maybe I was struggling with it, and I go out one day to a bar, and I'm, you know, I, I order a beer, and I drink half a beer, and, you know, maybe I'm contending and struggling and, da, 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 and still working on me and pulling on me. Legalism promotes, well, you already drunk half a beer. God's already upset with you. God's already mad at you. God's already against you. You're already out of fellowship. You're already da 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 You might as well just do a big one and go all the way with it. But understanding that even in my worst state, he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. It's going to be hard to stay there and get drunk when I know Jesus is right there with me while I'm doing it. He's not approving of it, but he doesn't leave me because of it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You think he's going to leave you now just because you make a mistake? The church actually thinks God has more grace for the sinner than he does his own kids. 
and it's wrong. Come, you know, the song, just as I am, just as you are, come. Well, that's okay for sinners, but we would never tell that to a believer, and that's a shame because His grace doesn't change. His unconditional love and His acceptance of anyone who will accept Him, saint or sinner, it never changes. That's why Hebrews 4 said, let us come boldly to the throne of His unmerited favor that we may receive mercy. If I need mercy, that implies I made a mistake and grace to help in our time of need. Amen? If I don't stop, I won't stop. We're going to be delving into this uh, here the next few weeks as this goes on. I encourage you, man. I, I never do this. I never say anything like this. But, you know, if you can, be here for these. We're going to get into a lot of good stuff in Galatians. And um, we're going to let the Word of God reformat some things in our thinking. And, and uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Amen. Once you stand up here, and we're going to do a few things, and then we're going to dismiss. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. And I, I, you know, I just sense in my heart, I just sense just a rest, just a lightness in here from the Lord's love today. I just, I just sense, and I'm going to pray for a few people. I'm going to try to hurry, uh, not too quickly, but um, I, just, I just sense the Lord just inviting us today to, to rest just to rest in Him, that there's an invitation. I just, you know what? I just sense the Lord just, just wooing us with His love today. Thank you, Jesus. You never have to be afraid of God's grace. You don't have to be afraid that it's going to promote some sort of lackadaisical, uh, lukewarm, what, all the stuff that gets said about God's, it's just absurd. I've never, I've never seen it happen. You don't have to be afraid of God's grace. You know, Paul said in, in Galatians there, he said, he said, am I pleasing God now or am I trying to please man? People, all oh, that grace stuff, that's a man-pleasing, ear-tickling message. Well, why are so many people mad about it if it's such a man-pleasing message? Paul, in defending grace, said, who am I trying to please now, God or man? Obviously, God. Thank you, Jesus. Grace isn't everything, but it's so, so important that we get the foundation right. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to take my time here just as we get ready to, to close. I realize it's noon and some of you may have to go. I'm just, I'm, uh, I just sense the Lord just wanting to love and, and minister to people for just a moment here.